Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. An unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City. John Lennon outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City. The most famous, perhaps, of all of the Beatles. Shot twice in the back. Rushed to Roosevelt Hospital. Dead on arrival. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. Happy New Year and welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast. I'm Aaron Camaro and right here is the man who shot J.R. Ewing, Chris Sinzak. Why'd you do it, man? I don't know, man. It feels like it's been since last year that I saw you last. Yeah, yeah, it was last year. But, you know, when you're talking about good years, you know, in 2015 was a good year, and 2016 is going to be an even better year, but they're both going to be hard to measure up to 1980, as we started to find out last week. What an amazing time, you know? And I was only three going on four when this when all this happened so i have very few memories of this period other than playing with toys and shit right and stuff uh, that was on tv and kiss records yeah pop culture i remember um but um empire strikes back all that good stuff right and uh we have a lot we got the whole second half of the year to get to we don't typically plug shows on this like upcoming concerts that are local to nashville because you guys listen to us all around the world but this is a really special event that uh, is being put on by our friends in the band, the Eastside Gamblers. Um, it's a Nashville, sh- it's a Nashville band, and they're doing a charity show January eighth, two thousand sixteen. Oh, if you're hearing awesome. this, yeah, they're awesome. Um, at the Mercy Lounge, and the uh, singer and guitarist for Eastside Gamblers is a, a friend of ours named Tony Higby, yeah. and Tony is actually Tom Kiefer's guitar player, his his rhythm guitar player. Yeah, that's right. I've known Tony for years through the local scene and everything, and um, but- he was he did a killer job at that alex van halen deal we yeah. went to a couple of weeks ago he was awesome he's a great guitar player and a really good guy and um but they're doing this cool 
thing, and um, this will be interest of interest to those of you even outside of the Nashville area, just because. Wait till I read this lineup off. But let me just read off of the description page for this event listing. Ah, so you're talking about Kimokaze. It's called Kimokaze, and it's Friday, January eighth at the Mercy Lounge. A rock and roll blowout for a good friend, a good cause, and a damn good time, featuring some killer guest performers that night. Tom Kiefer will be there. Oh, yeah. Lizzie Hale and Joe Hottinger of Hailstorm will be there. Right. Uh huh. Rachel and Dave the Snake Sabo from Skid Row will be there. Awesome. Those guys haven't been in the news at all lately. <laughs> and uh, Damon Johnson of Black Star Riders and Brother Kane will be there. Shoot, yeah, man. That's going to be awesome. I know I'm going to be there. Me too. I'll be hanging out. I won't be on stage or not, but I'll be hanging out enjoying it. Yeah, no one needs us on stage for that. There's, <laughs> there's, there's talent in the room, not us. But uh, doors are at 8 o'clock. The show looks to kick off around 9 o'clock. All the proceeds, and this is why it's so great, are going to help their good friend Chissa Metter. And I, I apologize if I pronounced the name wrong with her medical expenses and it's to help her kick cancer's ass she was diagnosed and uh, she's a good friend of the local rock scene here the bill is great and the cause is greater and we want to see you there you could show up if you're in the nashville area yeah. and um there will be links on the show notes for this for this episode Shoot, and yeah. um go to the mercy lounge website buy tickets in advance it's only ten dollars i mean that lineup for ten dollars yeah you can't beat that and like you say you know you can feel good about it because while you're having a good time you're also helping, You're helping a great somebody. cause, so yeah. it's a fantastic thing. Speaking of people helping us out, man, iTunes reviews are back in the house this week. Heck yeah. <laughs> and I've got one for you, and this one's entitled Worth Your Time. And it goes a little something like this. These guys are really dorky. But I guess that's the point. They put tremendous care into this podcast, and that's what keeps me listening every week. Fantastic. Short, sweet, to the point. We're dorky. He's wrong. We're very dorky. Very, very. Really dorky. <laughs> we're incredibly dork. We're geeky and dorky. We're, yeah, we're awfully geeky. That's for sure. So, you know, that came from uh, Abitude. Abitude. From the good old USA. You know, it came to us on December 19th. And thank you for that five-star review. That's the way it's done. You want to take a little time, help us out, swing on over to iTunes, leave us one of those sweet five-star reviews, and we will certainly read it on the show. Most Deci- definitely. Decibel dork. doesn't have the same ring to say, it. Should we rebrand? No, I think it's too late for all that now. <laughs> Thank you for the review. Please keep leaving those guys, and we'll read them on the show. Very cool. The other people that help us out, they're the people out there on the Internet. They're sharing and retweeting our links every single week, letting the world know about what we've got going on here at the Decibel Geek Podcast. And that's the way to become a Geek of the Week. Yeah, and uh, these all you got to do is share on Facebook and retweet on Twitter. These are the people that did that for last week's 1980 Year Interview Part 1. Geeks of the Week this week are Brian Knapp, Matt Ashcraft, Todd Cunningham, Brad Kalmanson, David Al- Bizarre Robot Lords of Tokyo. That's awesome. We I played saw, them saw, on the show. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Did you see the message we got? Uh uh-uh. uh. The guy from Robot Lords of Tokyo was a fan of the show, and but he's way behind. Oh, okay. And so he was trying to catch up. And he eventually got to the episode where we played his own band. And he was yeah, like, you played oh, them, right? Holy shit. Yeah. I remember that. I don't remember if it was Fresh Blood or something like that. Probably. I maybe something That's like cool. that. But yeah, you just kind of caught up and one day it was like, holy shit, they're playing my band. Sweet. So we're doing our job. Check jobs. those guys out. Uh, also, Justin A6, Joe Royland, Sit and Spin with Joe, Kevin Williams, Wayne Cross, Anthony Resta, Shane Abaird, Joe Lescon, Aaron Baker, Baco, Brant Cattell, Trevor McDougal, Joseph C.M. Belly, Joey Vancieri, Alex Farrick, Mark Taylor, Derek Novak, Jimmy Mercer, Cobras and Fire Podcast, James Brendan Dunn, Michael Bartley, Greg McGlone, Jens Helberg, Daniel Chaput, Michael Burrell, Robin Bennett, the Terrence and Mark Experience, Colin Francis, Ernesto Aguiar, 
Daniel Lee, Jay Shablewski, Jay Fenhouse, Darren Hellowell, Music Mags and Wax, TJ Cullen, Hoops, and LA Knights. Those are our people. They've got the back of the Decibel Geek podcast. They're making sure the world knows about us. That's a beautiful thing, and we appreciate each and every one of you so much. The way you guys help us, the least we can do is read your names on the show and make you an honorary geek of the week. It's the least we can do. You guys are our friends. We appreciate it. And uh, so let's get into June of 1980. Heck yeah, we're halfway through it, and we're ready to rock and roll, so let's get right to the music. So I'm first, and um, Set put out their second studio release entitled I'm a Rebel in June of 1980. It's the first three consecutive Accept records to utilize, the first of three consecutive Accept records to utilize Dirk Steffens as producer. Um, this album has them continuing to search for their direction, experimenting with some more of a commercial sound than on their debut. Uh, the title track, which is what I'm about to play, is credited to George Alexander, which is a pseudonym for Alex Young, eldest brother and producer and musician George Young ah. from ACD, with ACDC guitarist Angus and Malcolm Young. Right. And uh, Wolf Hoffman recalled the circumstances that led Alex Young to work with the band. He says he got involved with Except Through the Producer. Everybody after the first record said, we have to have a radio hit. The song became the basis for the band's first music video. And this is a song that's a title track, and this is called I'm a Rebel. Lead singer Udo Dirkschneider believes the album wasn't too inspired. He says, I think because of some unsuccessful experiments, the band wasn't too solid and the identity hadn't been discovered yet. He also blamed too many people trying to manipulate the band, just like on the first album. They would, of course, become determined to resolve these deficiencies on the next album, which was Breaker. But, you know, of course, you know, Balls to the Wall was when they first really made their breakthrough. So Sure, especially if you're in the States. Yeah, that's, 1980 that's you know. is, is pretty young in their infancy. But as you heard on that song, I mean, even though that, that's a song brought in from outside, they do a great job performing it. Wolf freaking rules, man. Great guitar player. Hell yeah. Blue Oyster Cult does what Kiss probably should have done in 1980, and they release a back-to-basics hard rock album entitled Cultosaurus Erectus. <laughs> Produced by Martin Birch, who had previously worked with Deep Purple, White Snake, Rainbow, and Black Sabbath, it's an album chock full of big guitars and a lot of medieval references, too.
Have you ever seen the album cover to Cultosaurus Erectus? Mm-mm. Oh, it's crazy looking. It's some kind of alien dinosaur looking thing. It's it's insane. You got to see it. It's it's almost mesmerizing. It's so cool looking. Yeah, there Blue Oyster Cult's one band that I'm definitely way late to the party on. I'm yeah. I've I've gotten into some of their stuff over the last couple of years, but they're they're just a little out of my league as far as what I'm into. Because they border a line on like prog, they're a little rock. proggy. And you know, and the thing too with Blue Oyster Cult, they've been around for so long. They have different kind of eras, and oh, totally. every every album's a little bit different than the one before it. This one, it outsold their previous effort, but only by a little bit. And Birch would stick around for one more album and move on to becoming the Iron Maiden producer. Yeah, Blue Oyster Cult would have one more big hit with Burning For You Huge before hit. falling apart and sporadically releasing albums with an ever-changing lineup of members over the period of the rest of their history. But that's a damn good album. I think, yeah, they're still... I think they're still doing it. I can't remember if they are or not. But I know they were doing some shows a few years ago. I'm like the fan sometimes of this show where I'm still catching up with that band. Yeah. Listening to old stuff. I'm not really sure what's up with Blue Oyster Cult uh, anymore, but I dig some of that old stuff. I would have liked to have seen that stage show from the 70s with all the lasers and stuff. That must have been interesting. Yeah. You ever seen that movie? The The Stone Stone Age. Yeah, I knew you were about to ask me that. (laughs) Because Aaron's favorite singer is in the movie. Yeah, starring Stevie Rochelle. (laughs) In his acting debut. Stevie Rochelle, you owe us an appearance on this show. (laughs) You think you owe us some money as well. Jeez. Oh, you want to hear something funny? I got a tough album for Christmas. You did. And uh, Stevie Rochelle autographed it. Nice. To my wife. (laughs) (laughs) But we didn't pay no extra for the autograph or nothing. He just did it because he was cool, but he didn't know, so he made it out to Jamie. That's cool. It's still cool. It's still awesome. Uh, Your wife's going to run off with Stevie Rochelle. (laughs) That's it. You're not coming on the show now, Stevie. (laughs) One person that's not coming on the show is Richard Pryor. He was not having a good month in June of 1980. He set himself on fire freebasing cocaine in L.A. That was a huge story at the time. I remember that. I was just a kid, but I remember wondering, what does that mean? What is freebasing? What is cocaine? What is freebasing? I don't know. Thanks to Richard Pryor, now everybody knows. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> for setting the example, he messed himself up pretty bad oh, with yeah, that stuff. Yeah, he was he was as bad as you could get. I was watching a documentary about him not too long ago, and it's just that guy is just fascinating to me. You know? Yeah, you know, arguably the best comedian of all time. Yeah, yeah. even if he did hate white people, <laughs> <laughs> that's what made him funny. Though. And then June twenty third, the David Letterman show airs. On NBC Daytime. Right, yeah. It was a daytime talk show. It was, but, you know, Dave was never cut out to be a daytime no. kind of guy. You want, you want to get that good David Letterman humor, you better put it on late at night. Yeah, leave the daytime for Dr. Phil. And then on June 25th, uh, a kind of a big story for Aaron and I. Kiss plays their first show with Eric Carr at the Palladium in New York City. Not just for us, but for Kiss fans all around the world. That's yeah. a huge moment in history right there, you Very. know? Because then Anton is out which most people didn't even know he was in. And then Eric Carr's in, and man, you know, I remember that the the appearance on TV, and I was just like blown away, like... Uh, what's going on here? You know, where's where's the cat man? And who is this guy? But he sure looks cool. And then as years gone by, you realize what an awesome player Eric Carr was. And person. Yeah, yeah. for sure. 
Yeah, well, that's uh, that's one of those time machine shows that if you didn't get oh, to see it, man. you would love to go see it. Oh, man, I'd love to have been there that night. So, uh, all right, I'm going to go f- next. And uh, Why weren't our parents taking us to KISS concerts when we were toddlers, damn it? I know, what's wrong with them? June 30th of 1980, Queen releases The Game. It was their eighth studio album. It's the only Queen album to reach number one in the United States and became their best-selling studio album with four million copies sold to date. Really? Yep. Wow. And that tied News of the World in U.S. sales. Now, course they sold a lot more than that overseas right the album received very favorable reviews notable songs of course include another one bites the dust and crazy little thing called love yeah those both reached number one so you got to figure with those two songs on the album that's probably why it sold so well sure and those are both songs you can turn on classic rock radio probably right now when they're playing one absolutely but i'm going to play something that's great from this album that you're not going to hear on the radio this is queen from the game with need your loving tonight That song's awesome, and it was written by John Deacon, the bass player. Yeah? Yep. The song was released as a single in November of 80, and it only went to 44 in the U.S. The song was also played scarcely during the game tour in the early 80s, but it only lasted for that one tour. But I think that song would be great in a set list even now. I'm you know, I'm a hit and miss on Queen stuff. So, you know, Certain things I love, certain things are a little too you know, Broadway-ish for me. Because um, I never got into musical stuff, and Freddie definitely brought that angle in. But John oh, Deacon sure. could really put a good song together. That's a, there's, he, there's another Vinnie Vincent-like type uh, musician. You never hear a thing about him anymore. Huh. Maybe we'll have to start doing specials on him. John, De- John Deacon, <laughs> Volume 7. Did he sell a box set? I don't know. Yeah, If it did, it never came in the mail. That's true. All right. Also, here we go. 1980, Crocus. Yeah, Crocus. They've released three albums in their homeland of Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And man, are they loved by the Swiss. But pretty much unheard of anywhere else. But that all changes with the release of the triple platinum selling Metal Rendezvous. That's a great one. platinum in switzerland that is yeah (laughs) still a great record it's the first album after chris von rohr moves from vocals to bass which is strange because he was originally the drummer and weird (laughs) and new lead vocalist mark starachi steps in so they're kind of known as a prog rock band up to that point but after seeing acdc live they changed their ways can you tell 
Can you tell by listening to Crocus that they love the ACDC? Oh, that was totally their, that was their blueprint. Oh, totally. And it worked for them. Oh, yeah. Because Crocus would go on to release 13 more studio albums over the years, including 2013's awesome Dirty Dynamite. It's a great record. Oh, it's fantastic. Recommend it. Check out Metal Rendezvous. You can't miss yep. it. It's got a very heavy metal cover on it with two cars smashed into each other, standing up on end. It's much better than two fat dudes wrestling in a forest fire. <laughs> But maybe not as cool as that dog. Camaro's cut out, man. Volume one, check it yeah. out. <laughs> that was a fun conversation. Volume only. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we need Someday, to do that people. again. That that may be my 2016 resolution. Okay, that's I think that's it was our Vinnie my... Vincent box set. Right, it's yeah. Volume two of the We keep cut promising out. it, but it never comes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. So Ted Nugent puts out an album in 1980 in June called Nuge. Scream Dream. Oh yeah. It was a six album. It was released on Epic Records. Now, of course, the album opener, Wango Tango, becomes an instant standard for him. I love that song. And uh, the hum- has the humorous middle breakdown section in which he shows off with a Carnival Barker-esque rap. <laughs> <laughs> Ted was in a weird period of time in this t- when this happened. That's um, awesome. Other in- highlights include Terminus El Dorado, of course, the title track, and Hard as Nails. This is my favorite song on the album. It's the Motor City Madman doing Come and Get It. <laughs> Uncle Ted, you can't go wrong with that. I always remember back when I was younger and I was working on radio, Nick Summers was the main rock DJ there, and they had done a thing where they'd open up the street and there was all kinds of people hanging out down there, and he played Wango Tango, and he's just like, look at all those old people out there. They don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a moment that I'll, I'll never forget looking out that window on the people while that's blasting and it's just families and stuff out there. And No, they had no idea. That's all. It's a Wangozy Tango. <laughs> all right. Well, you got the next one. Well, this is one we definitely could not do a 1980 year in review without talking about. And I'm talking about ACDC's yeah. seventh studio album. You know it. You love it. You probably own it. You, uh, you must. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you do. Many, many people own this album. But in 1980, as we talked about last week, ACDC almost gave it up. Mm-hmm. after the loss of Bond Scott, but they knew that Bond would demand that they continue on. They considered several replacement singers, but remembered Bond actually talking about a band he saw in England called Geordie and how impressed he was with the lead vocalist Brian Johnson. So ACDC sends for him, and he meets the band in London to audition, and they immediately went to work. I mean, when they brought him in and he sang, 
They loved it. They said, yeah. this is our guy, no doubt about it. Although Bon Scott had already started writing the music for Back in Black, they thought it would be disrespectful to use the lyrics that he wrote, so all the lyrics were redone by Johnson for this album. Mm-hmm. Makes me always wonder what it would have been like. You know, What would a Back in Black have been like it if Bon Scott... could have been sung completely differently. could have been totally different. Yeah. The music might have been the same, but the, the lyrics and the melody. wording and the melody, all that could have been totally different. Would it have been as big a hit? I don't know that it could have been any bigger. Right. This is one of or, the biggest or, selling albums ever. Or was it the fact that Bon Scott had died and it was all over in the news? Well, it brought them a lot of attention. I, yeah. I mean, it, I know it's not, I'm not saying that as a selling point, but it right. it, it was huge news. At the sure. Time. So then everybody finally heard of ACDC at that point. So what these guys do is they set out to make an album that Bon Scott would be proud of, and they end up creating one of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time. to number one in Australia, Canada, and France. It takes a little bit longer to catch on in the U.S., but, you know, it's still huge here. That makes oh, yeah. the American uh, record company release Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, mm-hmm. which was they turned it down. They didn't want to release that in the States. Yep. But once Back in Black took off, they re-released that. And Back in Black ended up becoming, you know, almost double albums it's... with Dirty Deeds here in the States. Yeah, Back in Black is literally part of the fabric of American pop culture. Oh, totally. Totally is now. And although it never did make it to number one in the U.S., pretty close, but it never made it to number one, it remains the second highest selling worldwide album of all time. Yes. Only behind Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yeah, I mean, that, that's how big it is. Around the world. I mean, Around it was, the as, world. as huge as, as it is here in the States and as much as everybody knows it, worldwide? No, it's... I mean, massive. Yeah. Very and it's cool. a hard rock band. Yeah, it you is. Know, it's the biggest hard rock album ever made. That's why we love ACDC. Oh, of course. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, that and many other reasons. Oh, and many other reasons, of course. Especially Fly on the Wall. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but, um, all right. So uh, my next pick, uh, you know, ACDC took over the world. This was a band that helped a scene that took over the world, but didn't really have much success themselves. Uh, Tigers of Pantang put out Wildcat on August 23rd. It was their debut album released on MCA Records. The band was formed in 1978 in Whitley Bay, England, and were active until 87. Then they reformed in 99 and continued to record and perform now. The name is derived from Pantang, a fictional archipelago in Michael Moorcock's Elric of Melanabone fantasy series whose wizards keep tigers as pets. I was going to say, you're reading that out of a Dungeons Dragons manual right now. I see it. None of that makes any sense to me. (laughs) Lies. But this is a cool song and it's called Susie Smile.
Tigers of Pantang. Wang dang, sweet Pantang. Very well played. <laughs> good callback. All right. Well, I guess that brings us up to July. You know, we're moving along pretty good here so far. So good. Um, let's see. On July 9th, seven die in a stampede to see Pope John Paul II in Brazil. What do you know about that? I know about as much as you just read. <laughs> It's just in the notes here. Just I know. Fun. I just I try to find interesting stuff. It's just like it's kind of crazy because like religion is is so is so really under the radar. Although the Pope's trip over this past few months here caused a lot of people to show up for him. Yeah, it's crazy the power of the Pope, man. Was was uh, Pope John Paul II? He was the cool one, right? Yeah, probably. He was the coolest of them all. The year before in '79, Kiss was on the Dynasty tour, and the Pope was traveling across the U- United States. Yeah, and. It seemed like every city the Pope went to, Kiss was like right behind them. And huh. like I read, I heard an interview with Paul Stanley, and they were like, "Do you remember when this happened?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, is it? It was John Paul, Jean Paul, Peter, and Ace." Oh wow! <laughs> but um, yeah, like they were. The Pope was doing a lot of traveling at that time, but it's just crazy how powerful the the Pope's presence is. Like, sure, this a, guy's like seven a rock people star. die in a stampede to see the guy. Yeah, it's, that'd be like uh, he doesn't play guitar or anything. <laughs> Well, he might. He's just not known for it so much. All right, I'm going to hell. Let's talk about the music. All right, let's, yeah, let's just get back to the music before we get in too much trouble here. Have you ever heard of the band called Shaken Street? Not till today. Not till today. Well, this was cool because when we were picking the songs and the, the things we wanted to showcase on here, I was looking for something that was a little off the beaten path, something that it. was a little bit different. And this is something that I never even heard of before. But when I checked it out, I really dug the music. So I thought, well, I'm going to look into this a little bit more. And what it is, is this chick, She her name is uh, Fabian Shine. I don't know if that rings a bell with anybody or not, but she was a famous supermodel back in the day. But she was also a rock and roller. So she ended up getting together this band, and they called it Shaken Street. They signed to CBS Records in France and released their debut album in 78 called Vampire Rock. She was also friends with another well-known supermodel, Nico. You know, Nico you know from Nico. the Velvet Underground and all that. And so Nico would go on tour with them too. They end up in 1980 releasing their self-titled album, Shaken Street. And interesting enough, on guitar for mm-hmm. Shaken Street in 1980, Ross the Boss. From Man of War? From Man of War. Wow. He doesn't even wear loincloth or nothing. He wears normal clothes in this band. Good. It's really strange. <laughs> this band ends up touring all over the world and sharing uh, the stage with bands like Blue Oyster Cult, Alice Cooper, Black Sabbath, ACDC, and a whole lot more. And it's definitely worth checking out.
Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that's brand new to me. Yeah, I know. I want to check out more of that because I'm really interested in it. And uh, I was looking on uh, iTunes to see if there was anything else, and I couldn't find a lot of their earlier stuff. But they released an album in like their early 2000s. Like they reunited really? and put out an album, and it's pretty cool too. So I'm definitely going to be checking out more of that. Where are they from? They're from France. Okay. Hmm. We're from France. <laughs> All right, sorry. So uh, my next pick is an album that a lot of you that are listening probably own. It's a it's a great one. Uh, Michael Schenker put out the simply titled the Michael Schenker Group album in 1980 in August. It was his debut album released on Chrysalis Records, produced by Roger Glover, who you've heard of. Right on. That guy, I mean, everybody talks about him being a member of Deep Purple, but like, look at all these amazing albums that this guy's produced. Yeah, I mean, for sure, his name doesn't come up nearly enough in you know credits for producers. Um, Maybe we ought to do a show on him one time and just play the, the stuff bands he's that he's produced. It'd Some be a great, great show, yeah. And, uh, of course, this has incredible guitar playing by Michael Schenker and uh, vocals by Gary Barden. And this song was written by both of them and opens the album. It's called Armed and Ready. Yeah, I can't go wrong with that. That guy wails. Yeah, it's that, that whole record is awesome. Man, I'm ready now to talk about one of my favorite albums of all time. Because last week, when we talked about the first part of 1980, we talked about Black Sabbath mm -hmm. and how they'd hooked up with Dio and came out with the amazing Heaven and Hell album. We talked about how Ozzy got fired from the band, and you know, with that, we kind of stopped there and talked about Sabbath. Well, Ozzy didn't just fall off the edge of the world. Well, for a little while, he kind of did. Nice uh, play on words there. After getting fired from Sabbath, he kind of basically just locks himself away in a hotel room with a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol. Yeah. Locks the door, turns out the lights. And just numbs himself because he's so depressed because he thinks it's over. Right. But it takes a special lady to come dig him out. And that lady was Sharon Osbourne. She saw something in Ozzy that I don't even think Ozzy Osbourne at the time saw in himself. Mm -mm. You know, he was in no shape to continue. But yet she knew he was a star and he had what it took. But actually what it took was a guitarist from Quiet Riot named Randy Rhodes and how amazing Randy Rhodes was. Basically, this album was created around the music of Randy. And then you've got, you know, some really good musicians involved in this. You got uh, Bob Daisley in there writing a lot of songs. You got Don Airy uh, doing the keyboards. Lee Kerslake is on there. And, you know, it's just an all-around amazing album. The songs on it are awesome. You know, you talk about songs that are still that Ozzy's out there playing still to this day. Songs like I Don't Know and, of course, Crazy Train and Suicide Solution, Mr. Crowley, classics. <laughs>
gun. Get the gun. No, no, we got to finish the show first. Oh, damn. Hey, Blizzard of Oz, it's the name of the album. It was originally going to be the name of the band, but they gave Ozzy the top billing. And, you know, the band members, with the exception of Randy, probably he didn't care. He was just happy to be there with them. Other guys were a little bit pissed. (laughs) Um, Blizzard of Oz didn't sell as great, but over time, it would sell in excess of 5 million copies worldwide. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Just to be able to say, hey, Black Sabbath, I'm Ozzy freaking Osbourne, and I ain't going nowhere. Well, if you were a Sabbath fan, you got great material from both. Oh, year. man, yeah. Not together, but both separately. Yeah. And both amazing albums in their own rights. After that, they basically fire Daisley and Curse Lake. They know Those guys never seen it coming. They end up getting Rudy Sarzo from uh, mm-hmm. Quiet Riot and Tommy Aldrich from Black Oak, Arkansas, and what Pat Travers. And amazing, amazing band, amazing album. One of the greatest of all time, Blizzard of Oz. That's true. We got to do a Randy Road special at some point. Shit, yeah, man. Let's do it right now. <laughs> Go right now. Okay. Well, all right. Well, Show's uh, over. We'll be yeah, back. We'll, we'll, for, we'll screw October through December. Fuck it. Okay. All right. Oh, we'll, we'll, we will do it in 2016. Okay. Sounds right. good. Damn it. I just roped us into that. Good. All right. Um, October 3rd, Diamond Head puts out Lightning to the Nations. It was their debut album released on Happy Face Records. Now, some of you might not even know who the hell Diamond Head is, but you know some of their material. Yeah, you do, especially so me, if you like Metallica. Yeah, let me give you a little bit of history. They had gained enough attention to tour support with ACDC and Iron Maiden. Although a clutch of record companies had fought to sign the band, none were willing to fully commit. The fact that the band was at the time managed by Sean Harris's mother did not help the band's commercial momentum. Oh, wow. So while other new wave of British heavy metal bands were being signed to major labels and were headlining on tours, Diamond Head were growing increasingly impatient and decided that they would release the material through their own label, Happy Face Records. Yeah. It's not wow. the greatest record label name. But, um, well, what do you expect? Their mom's managing band. Their label's called Happy we'll Face. We'll make it a happy face. What is metal about that? I don't know. Except for the music. All right, and meatloaf. But uh, the album catapulted Diamond Head to the forefront of the new wave of British heavy metal scene, and it was a big influence to many later metal bands, including Metallica and Megadeth. The former have covered such songs as The Prince, Sucking My Love, Am I Evil, It's Electric, and Helpless. All those songs are on this record. Wow. How crazy is that? It's like a Metallica album. Pretty much. That came out in 1980. And versions from various periods were compiled on Metallica's Garage Incorporated. As a result, Diamond Head became very well known to Metallica fans and enjoyed exposure on a broader public level. This is one of the only tunes that wasn't covered by a band that's name starts with an M, and it's called Sweet and Innocent.
love it. 1980 is definitely the year of the rise of the new wave of British heavy yeah. metal, for sure. It was a big part of the year. Heck yeah. Well, here's another one that goes hand in hand with that. Here's a band from England that was that was rising up, you know, kind of along the same lines as Diamond Head, too, that they didn't ever make it quite as big as, say, Maiden or Priest or Motorhead, but still a damn good band in their own right. And I'm talking about a band called Fist. Yeah. So they came out with their debut in 1980, an album called Turn the Hell On. And uh, before we go into break, here's a little taste for you in a tune called Axe Man. Crunchy nuts. Time for a Mars bar. You get big crunchy nuts in a Mars bar. Sun-drenched nuts gathered at the peak of ripeness. Toasted up golden brown. Mars bar. Big crunchy nuts in creamy nougat, caramel, rich milk chocolate. If you like the taste of big crunchy nuts, you're gonna love a Mars bar. Mmm. You get big crunchy nuts in a Mars bar. Friday on The Incredible Hulk, a rock star has a cure for David and it turns into a deadly dose of terror. Next, the Dukes of Hazard help a tall Texas Ranger trap a backwoods bandit and it turns into a super-duper derby. Then see how it all began in the original episode of Dallas. I underestimated the new Mrs. Ewing. It's an exciting Friday evening. All right, you are listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast as we take a look at the year that was 1980, and man, what a year it was. Music was fantastic, movies were amazing, and TV wasn't so bad either. Yeah, there were some interesting things that went on in TV in 1980, including, as Aaron mentioned at the beginning of the show, who shot J.R. Ewing, and it wasn't me. And now we know. I was four. <laughs> I couldn't handle a gun. What the hell was your parents thinking giving you a gun in, when you were that young? I don't know. They should have known you would shoot J.R. Ewing. Can't help it if my dad's Ted Nugent. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Also, 1980, uh, Walter Cronkite retires from the CBS Evening News. You know, that seems early to me. Like, to me, when mm-hmm. I think back of, like, who is the the newscaster? Like, if you said name a newscaster, Walter Cronkite's the first guy that comes to mind well, for me. He's a legend. Just because I just, I guess, maybe watched the news when I was a little kid with my parents. You or, remember Cronkite. I remember Cronkite. You're old. Because <laughs> I don't remember Cronkite. <laughs> totally am. I rem- I, totally the only am. thing I remember Cronkite was him announcing JFK's death. Yeah? Yeah. Maybe right. the, I don't know. If I could have, like, if I could watch the news today and have any newscaster that I could choose to do it, 
It'd mm-hmm. be Cronkite. He was well, so awesome. Cronkite. Yeah, the way he talked, it, it was just powerful. Authoritative. Yeah. And then Ron Howard left Happy Days. I suppose you don't remember that either, huh? I do remember Happy Days. Yeah. Uh, CNN debuted. Wow. Well, yeah, 1980. Uh, CBS TV bans the uh, Calvin Klein gene ad featuring Brooke Shields. Yeah. No one gets between me and my Calvins. Why'd they ban that? Because it showed tight jeans on her ass and she was like 15 years old oh yeah that'll do it Mm. uh 1980 is also the first year that the nfl draft is uh shown on tv on espn in between monster truck pulls and strongest man competition awa wrestling right live from the riverboat right (laughs) also in 1980 we had we got uh three to one contact yep i love that fridays Mm -hmm. heck yeah solid gold remember the show bosom buddies tom hanks magnum pi yep Good stuff. That's your TV from 1980. Cool. That's good stuff. And then we had some... So let's go over some births and deaths from 1980. Okay. So people that you know from today that were born in 1980, Kim Kardashian, that's not great. Um, <laughs> Vilmer Valderrama from That 70s Show. He's pretty cool. Yeah. Christina Ricci. I love her. Giselle. Yeah. Chan- is that uh, Tom Brady's wife? It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Channing Tatum. Olivia. Oh, my wife loves him. Olivia Munn. She's married to some quarterback. No, um, it's Aaron Rodgers' girlfriend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Heck, yeah. Jessica Simpson. She's married to another, or she was with a quarterback. Yeah. He's on this list, too. Tony Romo. He was born. Tony Romo. The same yeah. year. Chelsea Clinton was born. Christina Aguilera. Macaulay Culkin. Yao Ming. Yao Ming. The, the Miz. Miz. Yeah. Julius Peppers. <laughs> Venus Williams. Michael Vick. And, and if all them births in 19 aren't cool enough for you well this is the topper right here the first rock and roll baby of 1980 richie faulkner judas priest guitar judas player priest of guitarist. Today. heck yeah he's the young guy of the group the baby that's cool and then leaving us in 1980 was alfred hitchcock yeah steve mcqueen yeah we got Ian. a couple of punk rockers that killed themselves yep. ian curtis from joy division and darby crash of the germs mm-hmm. uh steve took the guitar player from t-rex dies in uh, 1980 and of course we mentioned it earlier bon scott and a couple of names we'll be talking about later on john lennon and john bonham yeah a tough year for losses and, and then the biggest loss of the, the year. biggest loss of the year in 1980 i don't know how the hell the world carried on but 1980 was the year we lost colonel sanders i just saw him on a commercial this is a lie <laughs> So let's move into August, and uh, as we talked about Sabbath earlier, August 16th is the date that Bill Ward quits Black Sabbath. Man, that was a long time coming. It was. Bill Ward, I'm surprised, didn't quit Sabbath way before then. And you got to remember, at this point, he's probably still brokenhearted that Ozzy left the band. Probably, yeah. And I'm kind of surprised that Ozzy, when he left Sabbath, Ozzy didn't call Bill Ward and say, hey, come play in my band. I don't know, though. Like You hear Ozzy talk about Bill Ward now in the press. Like I don't get the feeling that those guys were ever best pals or anything. But they kind of had to have been. I mean, you, you hear the stories about how you know deeply hurt Bill Ward was and how conflicted he was oh, about them firing Ozzy and then Tony Iommi being an ass and making him be the one to well, tell Ozzy because he was Ozzy's best friend in the band. I don't know. There was a certain woman who hadn't stepped into the picture yet. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, that will do it. Um, then, uh, I'm like, come on, Bill. I won't set you on fire. Right. <laughs> on the same day, August 16th, Cozy Powell quits Rainbow. Wow, man. That's, that's crazy. It's like drummers are just... Look, we're out of here. What that's was Peter Chris doing that time? Um, <laughs> He'd already quit. That's true. August 26th, Pete Comita replaces Tom Peterson as basis of Cheap Trick. And, uh, of course, Tom would come back, and congrats to those guys. They're going into the Rock and Roll Hall yeah, of Fame yeah, now. Yeah, it's about damn time. Way overdue. And then uh, we move into September, and uh, this is an interesting news story from September 6th. John Lydon, who is also known as Johnny Rott from Johnny the Sex Rott. Pistols, sentenced to three months of imprisonment on assault charges. Wow, who'd he beat up? I don't know. Oh, 
That's just interesting. I don't <laughs> it's know. Interesting. Uh, I'm just trying to picture Johnny Rotten beating anyone up. Honestly, right. yeah. It seems like he'd trip over his own fists and fall on his own face. I don't know. And then September 25th, a huge blow to rock and roll. Death of John Bonham. Man, I mean, jeez, I can't imagine being of the age like a teenager in 1980 who loves hard rock and to to lose John Bonham. I mean, unbelievable. That's like the first half of the year is all these amazing albums released by these huge bands, and then the second half of the year people are quitting and dying it's like what the fuck is going on everybody quit everybody (laughs) died well speaking of quitting and well he didn't die but his album kind of did peter chris comes out with an album in 1980 called out of control this guy he didn't wait around did he no you know he's not like ace fraley gonna wait 10 20 years to put out his his fraley's comment no peter chris is on the case in 1980 it's a strange album for Mm -hmm. sure there's some cool stuff on there it's like uh half of it is more what you would have wanted out of his solo album yeah and the other half is what you got on his solo album tried too hard to please too many different types of people. Yeah. I think he should have picked a direction and just stuck with it, even if it wasn't pretty, what I wanted. It is a pretty schizophrenic album. Yeah, because there's... One song's rock, and then the next song's a ballad, and the next song's kind of disco. disco, and then the next song's hard rock again. Yeah, it's like a schizophrenic record, for sure. So if you were a disco fan, you'd say, eh, it's all right. If you're a hard rock fan, you'd say, eh, it's all right. If you love ballads, you'd say, eh, it's all right. It's the sound of a guy without his makeup doing lots and lots of cocaine. Yeah, but... Let's do a disco song. Like, no, let's do a rock song. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's I could pick a few songs off there that I really, really like. I have the rest stuff on of there it. I, like, I don't yeah. care. Yeah, it's a about. it's a weird record for sure. But uh, I'm glad you played something from it though, because there's probably a lot of people that haven't heard anything from it. I recommend it if you can find it. Go check it out. It's there. Like I said, there's a little something on there for everybody. Definitely. On October 10th, Thin Lizzy puts out Chinatown, and it's their 10th studio album. Now this album definitely got panned by a lot of people. It introduced guitarist Snowy White, who would also perform on the next album as well as tour with Thin Lizzy between 80 and 82. He replaced Gary Moore as the permanent guitar player. Um, and he had previously worked with Cliff Richard, Peter Green, and Pink Floyd. I mean, great guitar player. People seemed to think that he wasn't the right fit for the band. Of course, Brian Robertson and Gary Moore, incredible guitar players, and they gelled really well with Scott Gorham. Yeah. I personally think Snowy did a good job with them, and I like his playing on this. So I'm maybe I'm... The fact that I'm coming into Thin Lizzy way after the fact is probably an advantage for me to li- to like everything. Yeah. Because I'm not, you know, sticking with a lineup or whatever. And then this album also features 17-year-old Darren Wharton on keyboards, and he had joined the band as a permanent member later that year. But this is Thin Lizzy from Chinatown with Killer on the Loose. Mm.
song in which Phil Lina talks about basically the persona of Jack the Ripper, it got into a bit of controversy in 1980 because of the timing of it. The single was released amid the Yorkshire, Yorkshire Ripper murders. And, oh, no. And uh, and many members of the British public, largely women, were outraged by the lyrics in the song and references to the Ripper. And a music video in which Phil Lina is dressed in a Ripper-style trench coat surrounded by scantily clad women did not go over well with the public. No, no, I suppose not. Yeah, that is some bad timing right there. Right, so they got a bit of bad press for that. The album did not do well. A lot of people seem to think it's one of those side A sounds amazing, side B is a bunch of filler type albums. And I can see that to an extent, but... If you like Thin Lizzy, you have to have it in your collection. For sure. And if there's any way that Thin Lizzy's going to come up on a Decibel Geek podcast, you know, Chris Sinzak's got it covered. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. The radio isn't playing them. Oh, God, no. Radio, <laughs> radio ain't playing hardly any of these bands we're talking about here today, which is sad. Because uh, in 1980, Budgie, there's another band that, Budgie. you know, if you if you like Metallica, like Diamond Head, you mm-hmm. probably know a little something about Budgie, but maybe not a lot about the band itself. But in 1980, they come out with their eighth studio album called Power Supply. You ever see the album cover for this? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it's cool. It's got like some kind of crazy rock and roll robot up on stage. It's just got a bunch of good songs on it. And I don't think at the time, because I guess Budgie had been around forever at this point, you know, I don't think they really got a lot of good attention for it. So this one kind of flew under the radar, but there's a lot of great songs on here. Uh, Secrets in My Head, Gunslinger's a great one, Heavy Revolution, Hellbender, that's a great tune, and this one's called Forearm Smash. Sounds like it might hurt, but it feels good to me. Yeah. I like it. I love Budgie. I think they're highly, highly underrated. Oh, totally. They're one of those bands that were they were very ahead of their time, yet you could never classify them in a certain category. Right, yeah. Very good stuff. I, I recommend anybody going back and checking out the uh, the Budgie discography, because totally. there's so much good, great hidden gems. In very there. influential band. Too. Oh, yeah, totally. And then uh, November comes around. November 9th, Iraqi President Saddam Hussein declares holy war against Iran. I'm sure glad we got all that Middle East stuff. 
stuff figured out back in those days. <laughs> Wait, never mind. Oh, yeah, we totally got it all. It's all under wraps now. Yeah, that's yeah. the limit of my political talk for the day. Okay. Good. All right, so for my next pick, Cheap Trick. If Cheap Trick puts an album out, we have to play a clip off of it for that year, right? Totally. They put out All Shook Up and on uh, October 24th. It was their fifth studio album. That's a weird album cover. Yeah, and it was produced by George Martin, who, as you know, produced most of the Beatles stuff. Right. And uh, this was even quirkier than its predecessor, the platinum-selling Dream Police. Many of the songs were less radio-friendly and more experimental, and this track was the only single from the album to actually chart on the Billboard 100, and it's called Stop This Game. pretty cool man i like that it's it's not a bad album it's kind of a weird cheap trick album there's some strange left turns on it for yeah, but sure. there is also some cool stuff i like that song stop this game me too robin zander what a, an amazing voice all right we'll keep on rocking here oh i got one here for you oh man this is a guy that i think when when people talk about like the greatest guitar players of all time i think unfairly pat travers kind of gets left off that list and yeah. i don't know why i guess you would almost consider this to be the Pat Travers album. Like, if you were going to recommend one to somebody yeah, and say, I it. want you to check out some Pat Travers, this would be the one to do it. And that's 1980's Crash and Burn.
course, everybody knows that one, right? Snorting whiskey. It's a great sound. Drinking cocaine. <laughs> it was a hit. You know, not a huge one, but I think that's probably his most well-known song. But there's all kinds of cool stuff on the Crash and Burn album, including uh, covers of the song Born Under a Bad Sign, originally done by Albert King. Mm-hmm. Um, a song called Your Love Can't Be Right. And even a, a cover of a Bob Marley tune, Is This Love? <laughs> Rocked out. Awesome. Definitely check out the Pat Trivers Band album, Crash and Burn. Highly recommend it. He's still around doing it, too. Yeah, he is, and doing it almost better than ever, I would say. Yeah. Or just as good as ever. He's a killer player. Hell, yeah. Okay, so um, for my next one, I think it's my last pick of the show. Um, In October, New England who's a uh, a band that came out that a uh, friend of the show, Hirsch Gardner, who's been on one of our Vinnie Vincent specials. He was the drummer. Let me give you a little bit of those. Some of you may not know who New England is. So John Fannin, Jimmy Waldo, Gary Shea, and Hirsch Gardner, some of those guys you'll remember from Alcatraz, formed the band in the Boston area, and they were discovered by Bill Coin. Paul Stanley wound up producing their first record. Yeah. And uh, along with uh, Mike Stone, who was known for his work with Queen in Asia, the band described their sound as power melodic song-oriented rock. And uh, they had a kind of a minor hit with Don't Ever Want to Lose You on the first album. Well, they had a, of course, they had a live stint supporting Kiss on the Dynasty Tour, but they kind of slid between the cracks of other coin projects. And their success stalled when their record label, Infinity Records, was absorbed by its parent company, MCA Records, in 1980. And they moved to Elektra for this second album that came out that year called Explorer Suite. And it garnered almost no notice. It just did not really get the push that it deserved. But there isn't, and there isn't a ton of info out there about this album, but I dig many of the songs on it. And this is New England performing a song called Living in the 80s. Take the start all over again. It's a brand new year. Don't get crazy. Take the start Just a new dimension, it's all in what you believe So go home tonight with someone hot and red Get your heart beating fast for a kiss that's deadly with In a galaxy far, far away the adventures of Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and Han Solo did not end with the destruction of the Death Star. Now, the Empire strikes back, and the Star Wars saga continues with the struggle against the dark forces of evil. Read the exciting story in Sphere Paperback. Hear John Williams' magnificent score on RSO records and tapes. See The Empire Strikes Back, Certificate U. At the Odeon Leicester Square from Wednesday, May the 21st. An exclusive presentation in 70 mil and Dolby Stereo. Book now. Hello, I'm David Letterman, and I'm inviting you to watch my new show beginning Monday morning right here on NBC. It's going to be live. Now, remember, when it's live, there's always that air of the unexpected. Right after David Letterman, don't miss Wheel of Fortune, followed by Card Sharks at its new time. Then, Password Plus. Something new is happening to daytime TV starting Monday on NBC. All right, 
right, we're in the home stretch now right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast, having a lot of fun looking back and doing a year of, in review of 1980. And, man, what a great year it's been. You know, so yeah. much cool stuff. But to get back into the current times now, we want to let you know that you want to help us out. You can go to Amazon. You do a lot of shopping through Amazon. I bet you do. You know, there's always cool stuff to be found on Amazon. But what we need you to do is before the next time you do your Amazon shopping, take a moment and go to decibelgeek.com first. What you're going to see when you get to decibelgeek.com, besides all kinds of awesome articles being written by world-class rock journalists from all over the world, besides that, besides you're going to see the the place where you can buy your t-shirt, you're going to see all kinds of cool stuff. But the thing we want to let you know about is two very important banners right at the top of the page. The one is our link to Amazon. That's how we kind of keep things going around here because Amazon is cool enough to help us out when you do your shopping through them through us. See how that works? So you click on that banner that says Amazon. It takes you to Amazon.com. Let's say you're, you're looking for a Kiss album. You say you're looking for Unmasked. You know, you want to get that on, on LP. Mm-hmm. So you go to Amazon, you look it up, you find it. There it is. It's, let's say, $9.99. Yeah. And so then you pay $9.99 and then you're not paying nothing extra, right? So then Amazon takes your $9.99, they take their little cut of it, they send the rest of it to Kiss, and a little bit of it, they send to us. Yeah. You know, it's not a lot, but when a lot a of bunch people, of you do it, then right, exactly. Up. When a bunch of you are doing it, or if you're buying a some kind of crazy thing that costs thousand dollars, you know, all this stuff adds up, and it really helps us out, and we really do appreciate it. So, Chris, you like to? This is the part of the show I really like because the cool thing is, is that we get a report every mm-hmm. single week of the things that were purchased on Amazon through our link, and it's always interesting to me to see what it is. Yeah, some interesting stuff that was purchased this past week on our Amazon link. Uh, a couple of Nautica men's polo shirts were bought. Uh, Marcy Upright Mag Bike, and I had to look that up, and it's like a it's like an exercise bike thing, it's like okay. a stationary bike thing. That's so cool. New Year, New Me thing, I guess. Sure. Uh, a Lego Junior's Pirate Treasure Hunt set. That so, sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, on DVD, South Park season one was bought. That's cool. Uh, the Falcon Mystery Movie Collection Volume One, that's three discs, was purchased. Huh? What is that? The I don't know. Falcon Mystery <laughs> Movie Collection. Interesting. It's, it's a mystery, Aaron. You're not it, supposed to. Know. Okay. Well, that would make okay. sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then. Uh, our favorite part, uh, the music purchases yes. for the week. Uh, Queen's Right Condition Human, their new album was bought. Right on. Motorhead Motorizer was bought. Oh, wow. We'll talk about Lemmy in a little bit. Couldn't and, do 1980 um, without it. And Rival Sons Pressure and Time was bought. Sweet. Clutch Psychic, Psychic Warfare. That's, oh, uh, have you heard that? Yeah. Oh, man, One is that the, awesome. That's a great album from this past year. Man, we got to get our picks together for that. Yeah, we do. Year in review for... 2015 next yep. week. Our, our year-end special is coming next week, and you can guarantee you're probably going to hear some clutch. Uh, Danzig Skeletons was purchased. And, uh, Glory Hammer, Space 1992, Rise of the Chaos Wizard, and Tales from the Kingdom of Fife were purchased. Wow. I've never heard of Glory Hammer. I have no idea what that is, but I want it. It sounds interesting. I want to hear it. And then Andy Williams, The Complete Christmas Recordings was bought. I and do know what that is, and I don't want to hear it. Well, I have an Andy Williams story, but oh, I, will, no. I will share that with our VIPs. And okay, it, cool. Uh, it involves me almost working for the man. Oh, really? Yeah. But, oh, wow. Uh, and then we have another uh, friend of the show that we need to promote. Yeah, absolutely, because you know we talk about the banner right at the top of decibelgeek.com, and right below that is you're going to find a banner for HK Collectibles, Inc. Let me tell you a little something about HK Collectibles, Inc., <laughs> It's basically the same thing. You're going. It's taking you to Amazon, but instead of just going to just regular old Amazon, this is taking you right to Daryl Albers' page, and it's his store. And inside of his store is just 
an amazing amount of things. Yeah. You want to talk about rock and roll collectibles or political collectibles or sports memorabilia mm-hmm. or just cheese, man. A ton of vinyl. Yeah, tons of vinyl, music there. You can really, I tell you what, if you go there and start clicking around, you can lose yourself in there because mm-hmm. there's so many cool things to look at and so many amazing things to see. While you're there, hey, you're going to help us out by helping yourself to some really cool items that Daryl's got for you at HK Collectibles Inc. Just click on that banner, go check him out, and thank us later. But you don't have to thank us. We'll be thanking you because you're actually helping us out. See? Sweet. Beautiful. So go to decibelgeek.com, get all that information. That's where it's all at. Yep. Heck yeah. All right, so uh, let's finish this thing off. We're into December now. Yeah, we're almost there now because, you know, we talked about what a sad year 1980 was because we've talked about all the amazing music that's come out and the movies and the TV shows and all these, you know, the toys and all the cool things that have happened. Did we do sports yet? Mm -mm. There's only one thing to know. What? Hulk Hogan is tearing it up in Japan. Oh boy. He's beating everyone. That's that's sports. There you go. Okay. <laughs> but the crazy thing is all the death in 1980. Yeah. It's, it's not just, you know, the death, it's the death of very very important musicians, you know, yeah. Bon Scott and John Bonham. And of course that brings us up to December where we lost John Lennon. Yeah. Murdered. December 8th. Yeah. Murdered I mean, by a fan. That's Mark insane, Chapman. man. I watched that story. How the hell can somebody go up to somebody that they idolize? Ask them for their autograph, and the dude is cool enough to take the time to talk to you and sign your album for you and treat you so sweet. And then you fucking come back and murder his there ass. Was, uh, what the hell's wrong with you? There was a lot wrong with him. You, the, you're never getting out of prison. Oh, no, he's not. No, and, because uh, the people know if they ever let him out, he's dead. Well, oh, he, he's so dead. Oh, Somebody's well, going to kill him immediately. Well, and it's the case of him being as crazy as shit and well yeah and there I was mean, like damn. hearing voices telling him to do things and and it's there's no excuse for it but like there was uh some serious mental stuff going on there and i you know and i'm not like in a i'm not a mr movie recommender or anything but like there's uh and I'm not, I'm not a fan of 30 seconds to mars but they're the the singer for that band is Jared Leto, who's an actor. He was on yeah. My So-Called Life also. He right. was like the heartthrob or whatever on that. Well, he put on like 50 pounds for a role to play Mark David Chapman. Oh, and wow. Lindsay Lohan's in the film also. I can't remember the name of the damn movie, though. But it's told from the perspective of Mark David Chapman. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's like the weeks leading up to it, all the way up to the to the murder. Oh, wow. And so it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, it's, state. he was obsessed with the book Catcher in the Rye, and he thought yeah. he was the character in Catcher in the Rye and Holden Caulfield. And if you've read Catcher in the Rye, then you'll see why he... I mean, it's not going to make you think that, but it's just... It's a it's one of those enrapturing type stories. But, yeah, I'll, I'll have to find the link, and I'll share it on the, fa- the uh, Facebook fan page. But it's just... Mark David Chapman was a sick individual, yeah. And uh, John, Lennon, it was truly a wrong place at the wrong time thing for John Lennon. It really was, it really totally was. But no matter where Lennon was at, that crazy sucker would have found him some way, Probably. somehow. You yeah. Know? And it's a damn shame because you look at the amazing music that John Lennon wrote over the years, whether it be the Beatles or his solo stuff. And you know, you almost got to wonder in some of these cases, you know, if Bon Scott would have lived, if John Bonham would have lived, if John Lennon would have lived. You know, what kind of music would they have come out with over the years? And you got to really especially wonder that with Lennon because he was such a creative individual. I would have loved to heard a John Lennon hard rock album. And you got to think eventually it probably would have happened. Maybe. 
I don't know. He's got some pretty heavy tunes in his solo stuff. I, I mean, and of course, the, the Beatles reunion would have taken place, I'm oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, because once John Lennon was dead, that pretty much put the kibosh on that, just like Led Zeppelin, you know. Mm-hmm. it was only What would to, Zeppelin it, have done in the 80s? Right, yeah. You know? it, it would have been interesting. Would they have followed the trend like Kiss did and got in on the on the what was... Thing. Yeah, the metal thing that was cool at the time? I, I got to think maybe they maybe. would have. Yeah, you know? know. And with a drummer like Bonham, you got no choice oh, but to be heavy. That would have been cool. Cool. And with the production changes and all that, and letting Jimmy Page cut loose, and I gotta think Robert that Robert Plant would have been throwing you know raw meat out into the audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about all that. Yeah, probably not. All right, well, that pretty much brings us up to the end of 1980, and you can't talk about 1980 without talking about Motorhead, the mm-hmm. Ace of Spades, because absolutely one of my favorite albums of all time of course everybody's heard the song ace of spades right yeah everybody knows that i mean this was motorhead's big breakthrough album mm-hmm. you know they were different than the rest of the british wave of, of heavy metal but still kind of included in it mm-hmm. you know they were before them but also with them it's just motorhead was such a unique band and that's Very all unique. pretty much thanks to lemmy you know because he was such an amazing songwriter and you know you know, Fast Eddie Clark and Filthy Animal. What a lineup. What Great a what lineup. a three piece band that is. Amazing. Yeah, that much sound out of a trio. Right, yeah. yeah. And and the whole album is good. I mean, it's just jam packed with great songs. Of course, Ace of Spades and uh Shoot You in the Back, Love Me Like a Reptile, that's yep. a classic. Uh Fast and Loose, I love that song. We are the road crew. There's not a damn there's no, not a, a bad it's song. It's a complete record. It's totally a complete record, yeah. you know, and as many of us know, you know, I'm sure we everybody listening lost, to this show. We lost Lemmy. Yeah, we lost Lemmy. I don't know, man. It breaks my heart. I feel like crying right it, now well, just thinking about it. It's just strange, though, because, like, it's one of those things where we all saw it coming. Like, we, he's been in bad health for a couple of years now, and it's one of those things, like, it's like, I didn't think I, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to say I'm surprised. I'm not surprised, but there's still like a weird sense of shock. Right. It's I like guess a, it's like just like, like wow, you know, we're in a world with with where le- there is no yeah, Lemmy, and no there Lemmy is no Motorhead. Here. Yeah, there's no Motorhead. There's no Lemmy. I mean, what's it all about? It's just. I think that was what hit me even harder was seeing um, Mickey D the headline with the interview with Mickey D saying, "Well, of course, Motorhead is over," and it's like. Obviously, losing Lemmy is bad enough, but then, like, then that was kind of the final nail, and it's like, oh my gosh, right. you know, like, there's, we're not going to have another Motorhead album next year. Like, no. that's what you're, what you're used to, right? Yeah, almost it's every almost year a now. annual tradition. Yeah, man, and the music they've been coming out with here lately is, you know, maybe the times are different, and maybe what's popular is different than what it was in 1980. But the later albums, the stuff they've, I mean, they've always been well, they're consistent. They're always consistently awesome, mm-hmm. and always have been. And it's sad to know that it's over but the thing beautiful thing about it is as long as there's rock and rollers in the world as long as there's metalheads in the world and as long as there's the decibel geek podcast we will never ever forget lemmy and we'll never ever stop talking about motorhead and spending them so absolutely so i can't think of a better way to wrap up our 1980 year in review with a little something for you off of 1980s ace of spades the one and only motorhead God bless you, Lemmy, and thank you so much for all you've given us over the years because, man, there's a catalog full of music that I will never, ever stop listening to until I'm killed by death, and I know you feel the same way. Absolutely. We love you, Lemmy. We love everybody listening to this show. We're going to wrap it up 1980 Decibel Geek style. This is The Chase is Better Than The Catch.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 